Come now to God's word, and I invite you to turn with me to Job chapter 1. Job chapter 1. If you're using one of the Bibles here, you should find that on page 417. 417. Here in Job chapter 1, we're going to be focusing specifically on verses 4 and 5, which reveal to us Job's righteous concern and his spiritual concern for his children. And we're going to tie this together with Paul's exhortation in Ephesians chapter 6. So once we read Job, we'll turn to Ephesians chapter 6 as well. But for the sake of some context, we'll read the whole chapter. Job chapter 1, beginning at verse 1. This is the holy and inspired word of God. There was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job, and that man was blameless and upright, one who feared God and turned away from evil. There were born to him seven sons and three daughters. He possessed 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, and 500 female donkeys, and very many servants, that this man was the greatest of all the peoples of the East. His sons used to go and hold a feast in the house of each one on his day, and they would send and invite their three sisters to eat and drink with them. And when the days of the feast had run their course, Job would send and consecrate them, and he would rise early in the morning and offer burnt offerings according to the number of them all. For Job said, It may be that my children have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. Thus Job did continually. Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, Yahweh, and Satan also came among them. The Lord said to Satan, From where have you come? Satan answered the Lord and said, From going to and fro on the earth, and from walking up and down on it. And the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job, that there is none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man who fears God and turns away from evil? Then Satan answered the Lord and said, Does Job fear God for no reason? Have you not put a hedge around him and his house and all that he has on every side? You have blessed the work of his hands. His possessions have increased in the land. But stretch out your hand and touch all that he has, and he will curse you to your face. And the Lord said to Satan, Behold, all that he has is in your hand. Only against him do not stretch out your hand. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. Now there was a day when his sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house. And there came a messenger to Job and said, The oxen were plowing and the donkeys feeding beside them. And the Sabians fell upon them and took them and struck down the servants with the edge of the sword. And I alone have escaped to tell you. While he was yet speaking, there came another and said, The fire of God fell from heaven and burned up the sheep and the servants and consumed them. And I alone have escaped to tell you. While he was yet speaking, there came another and said, The Chaldeans formed three groups. And made a raid on the camels and took them and struck down the servants with the edge of the sword. And I alone have escaped to tell you. While he was yet speaking, there came another and said, Your sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house. And behold, a great wind came across the wilderness and struck the four corners of the house. And it fell upon the young people and they are dead. And I alone have escaped to tell you. Then Job arose and tore his robe and shaved his head And fell on the ground and worshipped. And he said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked shall I return. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. 
In all this, Job did not sin or or charge God with wrong. We're going to turn to Ephesians in the New Testament, Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6, again, if you're using one of the Bibles here, you should find it on page 979. Here in Ephesians 6, the Apostle Paul exhorts uh, the church, saying, Children, and so very significant that the Apostle Paul, as he writes to the church, writes also and includes the children within the church, right? Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and your mother. This is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Now to pause there for one more second. The fact that the Apostle Paul is speaking of what belonged to the Old Covenant as now applicable to the church and to the children in the New Covenant for, uh, further supports the, the, the claim and the biblical idea that children, just as they were in the Old Covenant, so in the New, are included within the covenant community. Finally, verse 4 of chapter 6, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. So far from God's holy word. Dear congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, as we have just witnessed the baptism of Marco and are reminded of God's covenant promise to our children, we find in Job a wonderful example of a father who took spiritual concern and care for his children before the Lord. We see this reflected in Job chapter 1, especially verses 4 through 5. And while we won't have a ton of time to discuss everything, and in many ways the point of Job is much deeper than what we're going to get at here, uh, we still see again reflected here a righteous concern of Job. Because Job, as the text opens up, is characterized as a man, verse 1, who was blameless and upright, one who feared God and turned away from evil. And it's quite interesting and telling that the way in which the author of this book depicts Job's righteousness, his blamelessness, is in, in respect to the way he dealt with his children before the Lord. Right? Out of all the things that he could have pointed to about Job, he highlights the way in, the way in which Job had a spiritual concern for his children even a kind of heavenly-mindedness, as he understood that what was most important for them was not the enjoyment of these feasts that they were holding every week, though they could enjoy them, but most important was his children's relationship, relationship with the Lord. And so it's this idea that we want to explore, and I think Paul even gives us further exhortation regarding, in Ephesians chapter 6, when he says that fathers are not to provoke their children to wrath or anger, but to raise them in the fear and admonition of the Lord. And so we'll consider these two things. But first we want to think about Job just in general. Who was Job? Job, likely reflected throughout this book, is somebody who lived during the days of the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. It's likely that during this time, uh, as Job was himself not a member of Israel, he lived in the land of Uz, which was further out east. So Job was not an Israelite. And yet Job knew the true God. He knew Yahweh. He knew the Lord. 
And he recognized also in the fact that he gives sacrifices on behalf of his children that in order for their sins to be forgiven, Job understood that a sacrifice must be given, that blood must be shed, that there is no forgiveness of sins apart from blood. And so Job, while outside of, the, the, in a sense, the covenant community, outside of the land of promise with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, where God reveals himself all the more clearly, Job is still one who feared the Lord. He had a sense of true religion as he worshipped the one true and living God. So at, during the days of the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, we can recall that there was no centralized system or place where sacrifices were given, right? The tabernacle had not yet been set up. The priesthood had not yet been established as it would during the days of Moses. And so what we find Job um, functioning here as is a kind of priest of his household, a priest of his household offering up sacrifices on behalf of his children. And one of the key things that we see about Job is the fact that he feared the Lord. He feared the Lord, as it tells us in chapter 1, verse 1, right? One who feared God and turned away from evil. Now, the fear of the Lord is a kind of stock phrase that is used all throughout the wisdom literature in the Bible, from Job, Proverbs, Psalms, Song of Songs, right? In all of those, these books of wisdom, Ecclesiastes as well, in all these books of wisdom, we see this phrase over and over again, the fear of the Lord. And the question becomes, well, what then is the fear of the Lord? Often I think it's depicted, and I don't think this is wrong, but I think it's a bit deeper as we're going to get at, but often the fear of the Lord is depicted as a fear of offending God or a a fear of ever being apart from God. And of course, that certainly belongs to the fear of the Lord. But I think more deeply, the fear of the Lord has to do, as, it's used, as you kind of can trace, and we don't have the time to do so, but all of its uses in the wisdom literature in Scripture, that all of the instances have to do with a sense of renouncing any sense of self-sufficiency and then positively entrusting myself to God, to His wisdom, and to His ways. Right? It, it, it's denouncing a sense of self-sufficiency and autonomy, thinking that I am God, that what I think is, ult- is true is ultimate, right? It's, it's denouncing that. It's rejecting that, just as Job rejected that. And then positively, it's saying, okay, as I've renounced myself as the source of all truth and wisdom, I am now going to entrust myself wholly and completely to God and God alone because he alone is God. His wisdom is right. His ways are just. And so when the fear of the Lord is spoken of throughout the Bible... Um, It's often referred to in this sense, not trusting in myself, but trusting in the Lord. Proverbs discusses this and and gives us a a picture of this. In Proverbs chapter 3, you get kind of a working definition of the fear of the Lord. Here in Proverbs chapter 3 verse 5, it says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart, And do not lean on your own understanding. That is what it means to fear the Lord. I am not leaning on my understanding, relying upon it, trusting in it. But instead, I am trusting in the Lord. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make straight your paths. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord 
and turn away from evil, right? These are the exact um, attributes that are uh, ascribed to Job. He feared the Lord and turned away from evil. And therefore, what that meant was that he was not wise in his own eyes. Again, that's very much at the heart of fallen man, right? Being wise in our own eyes. The fear of the Lord, then, is a response to that of true religion, where it's not myself at the center of the universe and my ways and my thoughts and my opinions being ultimate, but instead I acknowledge God at the center of the universe. His ways, his truths are ultimate. Be not wise in your own eyes, fear the Lord, and turn away from evil. And so, what we see Job then acting as he carries out a life in the fear of the Lord, turning away from evil, is that it plays itself out in Job's life in terms of a kind of heavenly mindedness. A heavenly mindedness. And this is all the more incredible because during the Old Testament times, like Job's day, there was a big emphasis on the externals, things you could touch and, and possess, right? Even highlights the fact that he had great possessions, uh, greater than any other person in the East, right? Job had everything. And yet Job showed that, that through all of that, by faith he could cut through that. And the fear of the Lord, he could cut through that and see what was primary and most central was not found on earth, but in heaven, right? Later in Job, we're invited into the heavenly courtroom of God. And Job recognizes then what is of most significance for him and his family is not just earthly possessions, but what was most significant for his family was their relationship with the God of heaven. The fear of the Lord in Job led to a heavenly mindedness in all of Job's actions. And so as parents reflected in Job and even reflecting part of Paul's exhortation later in Ephesians 6, our primary concern, now not to the negligence of this, but our, but our primary concern for our children is not their success in this world, though we may desire it and set them up for that, but ultimately our, our greatest desire as we live out in the fear of the Lord is their relationship with God. It's a spiritual concern for our children. Job, in many ways, is setting the priority here for us. And he shows us what is most important for parents regarding their children, but what is of most importance for the Christian life in general, right? So it's not just an exhortation to parents to be heavenly-minded, but to all of us. And so Job reflects the fear of the Lord and we might ask the question, well, where does this heavenly mindedness, this fear of the Lord come from in Job? Do we, as we reflect on Job's character and the way in which he lived out the fear of the Lord in his life with respect to his family, do we just simply raise up Job and say, and, and, and say be like Job? Well, of course not. We recognize that what inspired Job was nothing less than the very spirit of Jesus Christ. It's Christ at work in the heart of Job, leading him to make these considerations. It's Christ who is at work. S.G. DeGraff, who has a wonderful four-volume set called Promise and Deliverance, where he walks through the whole Bible, was intended for Sunday school teachers, um, to show how Christ is at work in the whole Bible 
and that the Old Testament is not just a bunch of moral stories, but it's meant to point us to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so regarding Job, S.G. DeGraff says this. He says, Of course Job was a sinful man, and his love for God did not originate in his own heart. There has only been one man who loved God fully for his own sake and did not betray his love for God, even when he was left completely to himself. That man, of course, was the Lord Jesus Christ, who emerged from his supreme suffering victorious. Christ gives his spirit to all who belong to him, and that spirit was already in Job. It was through that spirit that Job was able to win the victory, because the same spirit lives in us. We, too, can win the victory in the greatest trials and temptations of our lives. And so something important to see here in general about how we read the Old Testament that we see Christ in the Old Testament, not just in terms of types and shadows of saying, well, this person points to Christ, but of also seeing Christ at work by his Spirit already in the Old Testament, inspiring his servants, even a servant like Job. And he inspires his, his servants like Job by his very same Spirit, the same Spirit that Christ demonstrated and lived by, a Spirit of love toward God, And so Job begins to demonstrate in the midst of the abundance that he has, that our primary concern is God, but also as we we come to see, as he loses everything, that he still maintains that the primacy belongs to the God in heaven, right? As this trial and ordeal falls upon Job, he loses everything, and yet he's reminded that it is the Lord who gives, and it's the Lord who has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And in all of this, Job did not sin or charge God with wrong. All right, so Job is showing us that in the midst of losing everything, his relationship with the Lord and, and keeping God central remained ultimate for him. He demonstrated a kind of heavenly-mindedness for his his family uh, and for himself as well. And this very same heavenly-mindedness is ours also in baptism. Baptism is an earthly sign, right? A physical sign. We see the water. The water is just plain water. But it's a sign and a seal of something spiritual and heavenly It signifies to us that the Father receives and adopts us by grace alone. It signifies and points to us that unseen reality, the blood of Jesus Christ, truly cleanses us from all of our sin. And it signifies and seals to us that the Holy Spirit assures us of that reality and is bringing us to its fullness. So when we think about baptism, right, again, it's not just seeing only an earthly thing, but having a sense of heavenly mindedness. And so this is reflected in Job. To reread uh, those verses in chapter four, uh, in chapter one, verses four and five, we read there that, we won't actually, I won't read them verbatim, but his sons would hold a feast um, once, once a day, well, once a week, each of the sons would hold one. So there was a feast going on every single day. And there's some debate whether these feasts were ungodly or not. Um, seemingly reflected in the text that they were fine feasts. They were just enjoying uh, the bounty that the Lord had blessed them with. And yet Job, in verse 5, says uh, that 
he would get up early every morning after the feast took place, and he would offer burnt offerings according to the number of them all. For Job said, it may be that my children have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. Thus Job did continually. And so in the remainder of the sermon, I want us just then to think about, right, we've been reflecting already on Job's heavenly mindedness, the fear of the Lord for his children, for his family, and how that's often also reflected in baptism. And now I want to reflect just on a few things that Job teaches us um, as we live uh, this thing out. And the first thing that Job teaches us is that um, our love for our children should not merely be for our children's sake, but for God's sake as well. Our love for our children should not just merely be for our own sake and for our children's sake, but for God's sake. S.G. de Graff again said that Job loved the Lord above all else, and therefore he thought how terrible it would be if his children did not fear the Lord, for God ought to be served by all men, and this was Job's struggle. This is what he did constantly day after day. And this is the same exhortation that the Apostle Paul gives in Ephesians chapter 6. Again, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and fear of the Lord. At the heart of that command is a spiritual concern for your children and for the children of this congregation. John Chrysostom was an early uh, church father, a little bit after the early church fathers, but uh, Chrysostom meaning golden mouth. He was a great preacher in the early church. And in commenting on this passage, he had said this. He'd said that parents are never to deem it unnecessary that, they should, that their children be diligent hearers of the divine scriptures. He's saying at the heart of this commandment is that fathers and parents make their children uh, to know and to cherish and to encounter God's word. He goes on to say, It is of all things necessary to be acquainted with the lessons derived from the word of God, but especially for children, for theirs is is an age full of folly. Uh, You might want to one-up Chrysostom with our own age full of folly as well. But for children, right? To this folly are superadded the bad examples derived from heathen tales where they are made acquainted with those heroes So admired among them, slaves of their passions and cowards with regard to death. He's saying their children even then were acquainted with all of these examples of godless people. Slaves of their passions, cowards with regard to death. As for example, Achilles, when he relents, when he dies for his concubine, when another gets drunk and many other things of the sort. He requires, therefore, the Apostle Paul requires, the remedies against these things. How is it not absurd to send children out to trades and schools to do all that you can for these objects and yet not to bring them up in the fear and admonition of the Lord? Paul is saying that of first importance then is that our children be well acquainted with the word of God. And that that be so primary for us. It was reflected in Job's concern for his children and it's reflected also in Paul's exhortation to fathers in the New Testament. Chrysostom goes on to exhort us in light of what Paul says that we ought to then also instill in our children a love not for the glory of this world, but a love for the glory of God. How important that is. And therefore how we ought to demonstrate that and exemplify that as parents, but as members of a congregation which there are children watching and looking. 
Do you demonstrate by your life a love for the glory of God more than a love for the glory that comes from man? Because that is where the temptation lies for us, right? The temptation to to seek out and to possess the glory that comes from man rather than the glory that comes from God. And therefore, we are called to demonstrate as a body, as individuals, as parents, the priority of the glory of God in everything that we do. And therefore, may we desire and pray for our children that they know this glory and share in the glory that belongs to Jesus Christ and not to the glory that belongs to this world. Yes, praise God if our children do obtain great accolades and rewards in this life, but those things are very meaningless, ultimately, if their hearts are far from the Lord. And to instill a, a desire for the glory of, God, for the, of the world over the glory of God is and puts their souls at great danger. And therefore, what should be our priority, raising our children, the fear and admonition of the Lord, is that we put them forward and put forward before them a love for the glory that comes from God, the honor that comes from God, the pleasure that comes from God, and not from this world. That's the basic concern that Paul is expressing, and that's what Chrysostom picked up, and I think that's also reflected in Job himself. And therefore, as we pull back and come to a conclusion here, right, Job's concern for his children, again, is very telling as it depicts for us his blamelessness, his uprightness, his fear of God. And his concern for them in the midst of all the abundance at that time was their relationship with God, and that ought to cut through things for us as well, simplify things. Whereas many things can pull us in various directions, what is of most importance is our relationship with the Lord. And therefore, for ourselves, we run and flee to Christ, that we might be right with God, that through his blood we might have a right relationship with the Lord and be saved. And that as we raise our children within the context of the covenant, as Marco grows up, as Mateo grows up, and all the covenant children of this congregation grow, our desire for them is that they seek out and they themselves desire more than anything the glory that comes not from the world, but from God. Because it's that glory that alone is everlasting. The glory of the world will fade. The praise of men will will one day quiet down. But the glory that comes from God and, and the singing that God will, come, will, will have over his people will be from everlasting to everlasting. And therefore, in the fear of the Lord, let us also go forth with a heavenly mindedness, with our minds set upon Christ there. And as we bring our children before the Lord in prayer as well each day, that they too might set their minds, their affections, their whole lives upon Christ who is in heaven. Amen. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, Lord, we know that we're often prone to wander and our hearts often are led astray. And so we thank you for the reminder that we have here in Job, uh, one inspired by the Spirit of Christ. And so even as we have been filled with the Spirit of Christ, may our minds be set on heavenly things. May we keep what is um, central, may we keep that in a central place. And may our priority also be the glory of the Lord. And so, Father, we pray that you'd bless then our children, that they too might uh, desire your glory above all else. 
and that they would sing your praises and love you and grow in grace and in knowledge. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.